I wanted us to talk about no more gloom. Been gloomy about things? No more gloom. Well, last week we looked at a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 1, and the F that you see there on the screen, F means following. The verse is following. That's what they, it's a shorthand, so the text that follows. So in Isaiah 40, we looked at comfort, comfort ye my people, and it was a response of calling that God was going to answer the needs of his people. And those needs of those people reaching out called all the way down to the time of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jordan River. And he stood calling out to people and calling them to repent and to come back to God. And he was baptizing them. And when the elders and the leaders up in Jerusalem, they sent, sent their people down to go down and interview him and ask John the Baptist why he was there, what he was doing, why was he out preaching. And he said, well, why are you? They asked him if he was the Messiah. And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. I am simply the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And he was quoting from Isaiah. You can read that in John 1. So that's what we did last week. Now this week, I'd like for us to move on to Isaiah chapter 9. Even though it's earlier in the book, it is significant that we do this. So if you have your Bible... Or some way we can look at that. If you're at home, please grab your Bible. We would be glad to have you follow us. Isaiah chapter 9, a great passage of Scripture that I'd like for us to look at this morning. And the question I'd like to do is, why no more gloom? Why no more gloom? And the reason, if you understand the background of why this particular, Isaiah was writing this, why this particular passage, why this was coming out, was because... It wasn't going to be very much longer before Babylon would sweep down, King Nebuchadnezzar would come down, they would go through and Assyria would take captives away, and Jerusalem would fall. It was not that far off. And what would happen is the very captives who would be taken, in fact, the Bible talks about that in Isaiah, about taking these captives away. Even Hezekiah, as we looked at last week, Hezekiah, who showed all of Babylon his wealth, so forth, and Isaiah said, what a fool you were to do that. Well, he came in and took everything, carted it off, gone. So in that background, with that idea of the impending doom that is coming, and if you were there in Jerusalem and you knew that it wouldn't be long as you watched city after city after city falling to the enemy, and how they were drying you are going to have a very gloomy look at the world around you. You're going to be looking saying, how is it possible? How is it possible that this could happen? Where is God to protect us? So is there any hope? Is the real background going into Isaiah? Is there any hope? It looks like we're doomed. Well, there was a, uh, an S-4-class submarine off the coast of Massachusetts, not during wartime, but this early submarine got rammed by another ship, and as a result, it sank. And as it went down, got sank down there, they realized it was so damaged that part of it filled up with water. So they sent ships out trying to do the best they could. They went out, divers went down, and they went down as far as they could, getting down as close as they could. They got up to the 
to where the vessel was, resting on the bottom floor. And they put a little listening device up against the side of the thing to see, is there anybody alive in there? And they began to hear this tapping, tapping. And as they listened to the tapping through their instruments, they could, it is Morse code. And Morse code was coming out, and what was being tapped was, is there any hope? Tragically, there was no hope. There was nothing they could do, and all those men were lost. So that same kind of feeling of desperation comes up in the words of Isaiah and in the historic background, the, the part of what the people were feeling as they were watching. And if you know the history of how the Babylonians, and the, as they came down, they were taking city after city after city, moving closer and closer down to Jerusalem as they came. Question, is there any hope? Is there any hope at all? When Isaiah, through the great prophecy of God, answers that question, and the reason he gives for hope, the reason that there is hope, the reason that he writes is the words found in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have it with you, let's look at verse 6, beginning with verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6, 4. The reason, because, we put there, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Notice that, the government will be on his shoulders. Now, when I read this many, many years ago, thought about this, I never understood what it meant by the government being on his shoulders. Well, it had a very specific meaning for the historical context in which it was written. And in the meaning of it, the meaning is simple, putting the government, when you had the government on your shoulder, it meant you were in charge. It was talking about you had your scepter and it rested on your shoulder, meaning that you were in charge of it as contrasted to being in bondage, the yoke of bondage. A great, they were, many of them were going to be put in yokes, taken off to bondage. But here is Isaiah saying, a child is going to be born and the government, the government will be on his shoulders, meaning he will reign and he will be supreme. And there won't be any bondage. He will not be in bondage. Verse 9, I mean, verse 6, excuse me. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, I've heard that many times, right? But there's significant meaning there. For if we look and we say, the mighty God, the mighty God. What that would mean to them as they were reading that, God is the warrior. God is the warrior. The mighty God. The one that no one can stand up against. The mighty warrior of God. Well, we don't read that and think like that. We don't often think of God as being a warrior. But they understood. When they said the mighty God, it meant mighty God as a warrior. One who will deliver. They had experience with that, didn't they? Look how he fought Pharaoh's army. Remember that? Remember that when Israel was taken out of Egypt? They went out of Egypt. As the Passover angel had gone over, they went and they got trapped up against the Red Sea. No way to get across. And here came Pharaoh's army. 
Pharaoh's army had taken back the captivity and to slaughter lots of them. And great fear was there. And the Lord directed Moses to raise up his staff and to put it out over the river, over the, over the sea. And the sea parted. Remember this story? Parted and the people walked across during the night on dry land and got to the other side. And in came the river. In came Pharaoh's army. As you read the story, it's a fabulous story. Came in. And as, he, as Pharaoh's army came into the Red Sea, then the Lord said, put your rod back over the sea. And the waters came together. That's how mighty the God is. It's talking about in Isaiah. Mighty God, the warrior. The mighty God that knocked down the walls of Jericho. I've been to Jericho. The city of Jericho would sit easily on the footprint of, of our building here. Not very big. And so when Israel marched around it, there seven times as they marched around it, they got all took out, they followed, followed the ark as they went out. In silence they marched around it. They had to be just outside of arrow length, so they were out wide. You can still see this today. You can see where the walls of Jericho have been pushed out. They are pushed out from the inside. You see, the mighty God, the warrior, you're not worried about spears and stones. So they knew that experience. They knew what it meant to have a mighty warrior on their side. Everlasting father. The eternal. Eternal father. Everlasting. We talked about that last week. But everlasting father. Now some think, well, maybe we're talking about God the Father. God the Father. No, this is all descriptive of the second person of the Godhead. Speaking of the Messiah, Christ. The child that was to be born. He would be called the mighty warrior. He would be. He was the one who led them across the Red Sea. He is the one who knocked down the walls. He is the one who gave them the Ten Commandments. He is the creator the everlasting Father. Does this mean God the Father? Is that talking about God the Father? No. It means the eternal Father because he brought them into existence. Not only did he create us, the Bible says that Jesus was the creator, clearly teaches that several spots, but he also was the creator of the nation at the burning bush, remember? He started them out, led them across. In fact, going across the Red Sea it's considered, in theology, it's considered their baptism. Their baptism. Well, it's a fabulous thought. Now you're going to get this at no extra charge today, okay? No extra charge. It is interesting that when Israel went across the Red Sea on the dry land, that Paul says that was their baptism. Came Christ, child, became his. It's interesting that then he took them to Mount Sinai to give them the law. They became his children before he gave them the law. Isn't that a fascinating thought to you? Wow. Me too. So at the burning bush, he brought them into existence. The Prince of Peace, his power 
is expressed in peace. How can that be? The mighty warrior, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, prince of peace. Well, we have this thing in our nation where we say that peace through strength, don't we? You know, we're going to have peace through strength. So that's the justification for building, and I'm not getting into politics of that, but of having a military. It's to be, make the stronger, keep the deterrent, peace through strength. That's how we think in our philosophy. Well, the same is there. If you were the superb ruler of the world, if you were God Almighty, if you were the mighty warrior, and being the prince of peace, being by my strength, by my strength, called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, who the child was to be born. The child was to come. He will have this purpose. Clearly implying Christ. Clearly implying that. For unto us a child is born. Unto us. Scripture is going to making that assertion. All right, if you turn to Matthew 4, there's a connection here with Matthew 4 in which Jesus quotes from this particular passage, just a few few little uh, verses ahead of, in chapter 9 of verse 6. So this Jesus is quoting. So in Matthew 4, we're going to look at something how Jesus takes this connection, and it makes it a very fascinating thing about it that I think puts together with the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. It, it all kind of fits together. So here Jesus is going, and as the scriptures begin in verse 4, verse 13, chapter 4, verse 12, chapter 12 of Matthew 4. And when Jesus had heard John had been put into prison, talking about John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum. For those of you who are on my trip and vacation, John, I think you're sitting here somewhere. Um, on the trip, we went up to Capernaum. We went to Capernaum, which is still deserted. You can see that today. Still the ruins are there. Went to Capernaum on the northern side of Lake Galilee, which was by the lake of the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. No more gloom. Through the prophet Isaiah, he moved up to the Capernaum area, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Gentile, excuse me, Galilee of the Gentiles up on the north. The people living in darkness, speaking of the Gentiles, have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And Jesus moved up. He moved up into the area where he worked there among the Jews. But the light shining, he dwelt among them. And there were lots of Gentiles around. From that time, of Jesus began to preach. Repent. 
say the kingdom of heaven will come. No. Say the kingdom of heaven has come. Has come. I always used to think of it. It's going to be in the future, the kingdom of God. We're welcome the kingdom of God when he comes. But Jesus said when he came, the kingdom of heaven has come. When Jesus came, the kingdom came. The prince of peace, the mighty warrior, the wonderful counselor. When he had come, the kingdom had come. And we have to ask and look at that. The kingdom of heaven is near. It came. How could it possibly be we're living in this world as we are? How could it be possible that the kingdom would actually come? This is why there is no more gloom, because the kingdom has come. Change in rulership. Jesus died on the cross. He purchased back this world to be his. The kingdom had come kingdom had come. Has the kingdom come? Well, certainly the kingdom has come if you understand what Jesus is doing now. And Seventh-day Adventists offer a lot to say, what is Jesus doing now? People look back at the cross, but what is Jesus doing now? Well, as I was growing up, I'd say, well, he's building mansions. If he can create the world by speaking the word, and there it is, how long does it take him to make houses for all of us? <laughs> you think about that? So he must be doing something else besides, I'm just going to speak. I mean, if you have the power to create the world, to find places for us to live, just speak the word, and it would be there. Can you imagine the power that must be in just the voice and command of God. And it existed. So, to say that what he is doing is preparing a place for us, yes, that's true. And I used to think, oh, physically. But there's more and more, Paul shares with us, than, than Jesus just preparing and doing the physical work, which he can speak and have it done. As preparing a place for us to live in holiness, in righteousness, Injustice. Now we'll, we'll look on. So back to Isaiah 9. We'll come back to Isaiah 9. So the passage goes on. Chapter, chapter 9, verse 6. And then we go into the next verse, verse 7. And of the greatness of his government, the one that's resting on his shoulders, of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. No end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Why did he mention David's throne? Because it was thought to be the greatest throne that ever existed in Israel. He will reign on this great throne, establishing and upholding it with, there it is, justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Justice and righteousness came when Christ came as the baby. And the kingdom began. The kingdom began. 
Now, we live in a world which uh, right now we're wondering, why is there any justice? Is there any right? Are you kind of wondering that? Is you're thinking what's going on and around us? Kind of wondering, what in the world is going on? My wife and I even talk about our heads are spinning about what in the world is happening in our society. I've never seen it like this. I've said that four years ago, but now I'm really concerned about what is going on. Who could be trusted? Who's, who, who is right? Is there any justice or righteousness anymore? In his kingdom, there is. His kingdom. His kingdom. And the zeal of the energy of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, the seal of God has been put on it that this will be accomplished. Unto us, a child will be born and will come. So we have the kingdom come and the kingdom now. You see that? The kingdom of God, when he comes and reigns, would heaven and the earth will be changed. But there also is the kingdom now. The kingdom that we can live in now is our choice. You know the difference between a cruise ship and an ocean liner? I learned this this week. I had no idea. They're very, very similar. They have cabins. They have places for you to eat. They have decks where you can walk all the way around. But the difference between uh, a cruise and an ocean liner is significant. A cruise ship starts at one port, takes you out, takes you all around, and comes back to the very same port it started and drops you back off. So it becomes fun. I, I've been on a cruise, and I've enjoyed it. It was fun to take a cruise. But an ocean liner is different. They look the same, but when you get on an ocean liner, when you get on an ocean liner, it's going from point A to point B. So let's suppose, to illustrate how this worked, the kingdom. So you get on the ship in Miami, and you're on an ocean liner, not taking a cruise. You're on an ocean liner, and you're headed towards England. You're going to go to Liverpool. Liverpool. So you're going to go there. You have a destination in mind. So now you're a passenger on the ship. You can go around. You can land on the deck. You can eat whenever you want. You can do whatever you want. And your decisions about what you are doing and by and how you're going to be on that ship make not one difference in the change where that ship is headed. You could go out and say, you know, I think I would rather go south for a while. It makes no difference. Or maybe I would like to go to this port instead. No, it makes no difference. This, this ship is going from point A, Miami, over the British Isles. So it's going one direction even though I'm on the ship, even though I'm benefiting from being on the ship, my decision about where it's going has already been determined by the captain and the cruise, and I almost said cruise line, the ocean liner, where it is to be headed. So it's the same. So it is the same with living in the kingdom. The kingdom already knows where it's going. The kingdom already knows what's going to happen. The kingdom already knows that when he comes, he will change the world. But we are already on the cruise, not the ocean liner. We're already making our way if we choose to be 
part of the kingdom and living in the kingdom now. And it's a choice. It's a choice. Which is something now to bow your mind about. By being in the kingdom now, you begin your life of living forever. Ain't that true? If, you, if you're part of the kingdom, accepting Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you do that, you begin living your eternal life now. Oh, I may die, but I'm already promised eternal life. Already on the cruise, you see. Now let your mind wrap around that. And therefore, we have no more room for to be there, to be in gloom and despair. Because this ship of Christ Jesus will advance. What a wonderful thing comes up through this passage. And Jesus simply asks us, are we coming? Are we coming? And by our choice, by faith, we live the kingdom. And we can live and celebrate the kingdom with everyone. The love of Christ we can share with them because we are in the kingdom. He is king. His government rests upon his shoulders. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. The everlasting This Christmas season, it is a wonderful time to say, I'm part of the kingdom. I'm going to be living the kingdom. He is my Lord. I am his child. I'm in the kingdom. And we do that by the assurance of Christ's death upon the cross, that he provided you a place and a space for you. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I'm glad that uh, we can have that truth coming through Isaiah. And the great passage, Jesus applied it, and he called for us to repent and to live in the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Dear Lord, I thank you for this great truth that comes out of Isaiah. He had no idea what was coming. He had no idea what these words that he wrote he took them in faith, what you gave him, but he had no idea how this was going to be rolled out. And we have the benefit, Lord, of looking back to see, to read his scripture, and follow in history, the great movement that you have had, how your kingdom began, and how we can be part of it now, and beginning, begin our life with you forever. These are troublesome times, Lord. We lean on you, our Savior. We thank you that you're the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Thank you for your gift. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'd like to thank all of you who joined us online for being with us today. We will be back next week at 11 a.m. It will be my last Sabbath here and last uh, presentation, but... 
We are still going to uplift Christ, and we're glad that you could be here. So please join us next week at 11 a.m. If you have any questions, think just let us know online. We'd be happy to respond to you and to help you in any way we can. Send in your prayer requests as well. We appreciate that, and we do pray for things.